Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor. In today's episode, I just wanted to talk to you, basically off the top of my head. I have a couple of notes, but nothing extensive. I'd been thinking a lot about many concepts regarding anxiety and knowing what's coming and control and change. So here are just some thoughts that I have right now. Recently, I went through some personal issues, which were related to things that were very scary to me, possibly some people would say career ending or something like that. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know there was a lot of upheaval about licensure in the state that I'm living in most of the year. And so that is an example of how this sort of began. But I was thinking more about this on a global concept. When we are afraid, we often are sort of predicting something. Um, I'm not talking about when you walk out of your house and you see a bear or a mountain lion and you're instantly filled with anxiety and take action. Or if somebody approaches you at night that you don't know and you're in a strange part of the city that you're unfamiliar with, you might have a little bit of anxiety. I'm not talking about your nervous system reacting to possible threats. I'm talking about conceptual threats. So you hear some news about something. And it's something that might happen in the future, but you're not sure. It's as if you're in between things, or if you're working towards something, and it might succeed in one way, and it might fail in another way. It's basically for when you feel like you start to get convinced of a certain outcome. And when we start to convince ourselves that there is an outcome happening whether positive or negative, it seems that we are attempting to have control. And that's one thing I believe humans really want. They want some type of control in their lives. And you can see it if you study anthropology, that people have always been trying to get control. Um, At the beginning, it was over nature, finding ways to fend off wild animals, finding ways to store food, finding ways to have shelter, um, securing and designating who's in your family or tribe and who's not, and generally trying to protect our lives and or something else that is sacred to you. Now, let's just say you're in the modern world and you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Like you have food, you have housing, you may have some source of income, you might have a few people in your life that care about you. I'm not even going through Maslow's whole hierarchy. Let's just say you have it. But you realize, maybe deep in your subconscious, like all of us, that everything is changing. Things don't stop changing. Every moment you're in will soon pass. This is the nature of life. And so things are going to change in your life. And we can either resist it or react to it or 
adapt to it or try to manipulate what might change and try to have control over that change. There's many other options. We can flee from the change. We can pretend the change isn't happening. And a lot of this is to preserve our sense of control. And especially if you've worked hard for something, you want to preserve it. And especially we want to preserve our lives. So in that sense, when a conceptual or existential threat comes upon us, we can see that oftentimes our narrative changes, we have possibly physiological reactions of from our nervous system, sweating, trembling, other things like that. And oftentimes there appears in our mind that we don't even know and we can't even conceive of any type of resolution to the situation that we must face. And I think many of us can uh, identify with that. So you may have to deal with something in the future that you don't want to deal with. It might be a bitter pill to swallow. And you may believe that you might have to deal with something, but we don't know. Or there might be a threat coming to something you hold dear. Something that you have maybe come accustomed to liking. For instance, your job or your relationship. And part of it is that you're in between the relief of finding out what will happen and where you are now. And where you are now is in a place of not knowing. And I believe when you don't know and you want to feel like you do know and you want control over the outcome, it can, imp- it can produce a lot of anxiety and it can produce a lot of alienation from our emotions and our feelings and it can cause constant rumination and other things like that. Um, there isn't really, I would say, one solution to this. Obviously, when your nervous system is upset and you're not sure what to do, a lot of people turn to drugs, alcohol, benzodiazepines, which is a prescription drug, to sort of numb them out because there's a lot of fear. But there are also cognitive ways. You can go to therapy. You can do all sorts of things. But I just want to talk about a couple of the things you could do. So when you're free falling, you have nothing to cling to. You feel like something big is going to change, something bad is going to happen, a a, a large threat, and we can't see our way through it. One of the things we have to remember is that you will not always feel right now like you do. Someday you will feel different because the nature of life is change. I don't know how you're going to get through what you're going through. I don't know what's going to happen in the future with this situation. And I have no idea if the outcome, if you're going to perceive the outcome as positive or negative. But one thing I know is true. The nature of life is change. You can see it in nature, with the seasons, with um, erosion. You could see it all over the place. People grow old. Um, People look differently. They die. People are born, they're small, they grow. Animals, you've, if you've ever had a pet, you know that the nature of life has changed with the pet. So you won't, you, a, a rule of nature is that you will not always feel like you do today. Someday, and I can say this without a doubt, you will feel different than you do right now. So that doesn't mean the issue will be fully resolved. That doesn't mean that the outcome may be in your benefit. 
but something will change. You will not always be gripped in this state that you're in. So if I know that, then the next part is to somehow give up my need for control, to accept the fact that I won't always feel this way, and I accept the fact that I am a human. My perspective is small. I cannot see the big picture. I cannot see the future. The best I can see is where I am right now, in this moment. And of course, there's exercises like mindfulness-based stress reduction and breathing exercises and relaxation exercises. And what a lot of those things do is they just are trying to get you in touch with your breath, with the sounds, the sights, the tastes around you, instead of constantly thinking and trying to foresee something you can't foresee. The aggravation of trying to predict an outcome. We don't know what will happen. We never do. I think a lot of us like routines and we like planning, vacations. We like trying to predict when we're going to be able to afford to buy something. We like to plan out uh, plans with friends. Uh, if, if obviously we've met, we're in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we actually have a little bit of disposable income, we want to do those things. But have you ever planned out a vacation and then it ended up being completely different than you conceived? While you might have gone to the destination that you had, you know, paid for or planned for, everything in the trip, everything about the trip, every day was completely different than you had conceived. I think this happens quite often. I used to do this experiment to show how much my own brain wanted to judge and have control. Was I would plan for certain events. I, I used to play music. And, but when I would finally get to the event, the crowd, the situation, my feelings, the way the music came out was always different. It wasn't exactly how I planned. Now, I prepared, I practiced, that's a whole other concept. But I had to get into the flow of what was actually happening. Same thing with vacations. You want certain things to happen on them. You plan for them. You plan trips, and then the weather changes. And then somebody gets sick. And then you get weird news on vacation. Or there's an emotional issue with somebody you're traveling with. Or uh, a car breaks down, a flat tire happens. And that's where the life is, because life is happening right now. It's not happening in our head in some sort of conception of our future and us in control. It's happening right now around us. And so understanding and accepting our stature in life is scary, because we're finite beings, um, meaning our body will die. Now, I'm not going to get, if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, there's a lot of people that I've interviewed that will talk about the soul and like science behind that and religion and spirituality. I'm not really going to get into that. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that we're small and we can't see the big nature of things. Um, people are ver getting very excited about astrophysics. They're getting excited about string theory quantum physics theory, um, trying to look at different ways of conceiving of the universe besides straight materialism. And that's interesting. But we still don't know all of the answers, and we may never know, especially in our lifetime. So here's, here's a little story. I always love this story. It's called Maybe. I don't actually know if that's the name, but it's a Taoist story. There is a Taoist story of an old farmer who had worked his crops for many years. One day, his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. Such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Maybe, 
the farmer replied. The next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbors exclaimed. Maybe, replied the old man. The following day, his son tried to ride one of the untamed horses, was thrown, and broke his leg. The neighbors again came back to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. Maybe, answered the farmer. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out. Maybe, said the farmer. And so the events of the farmer, you know, basically his horse running away, everyone immediately rushes to judgment, saying, oh my gosh, you had such bad luck. And he's like, I don't know, maybe. I don't know what this will bring. Neither do you. We obviously have logic to deduce, um, you know, the chances of his, you know, horse coming back or whatever, but we don't really know. Um, then the next day, the three wild horses come back and they're like, oh, he's got more horses now. Then, of course, his son breaks his leg. Everyone perceives that as something bad. Um, he says, maybe. Well, then the army's coming and drafting young men into the military. Well, his son doesn't have to go to war which might be a good thing. So it's just showing our, our stature. We, we rush to judgment. We, we try to make sense of things. And that is human nature. We want things to make sense. We want things to appear logical and rational. But it's really a coping mechanism because we don't know why a lot of things happen. And we have to make up a story, essentially, to tell ourselves, right? And then you can buy into other people's stories. I mean, there's so many different ways of interpreting facts. We talked about that in the last podcast with Stephen Post. You can buy into multiple types of perspectives. But even within those perspectives, if they bring you safety, there's always the paradigm shift. Why did that happen? Um, and that uh, is is a crisis of meaning, and, and we may not know. And many people think we will know at some point when we're at peace. So in that, when you are in a situation with a looming, scary thing in front of you, right, or just that you don't know what's going to happen with a relationship or your career or uh, a family member, um, there's a stance that we can take. There's multiple stances, but here's two stances. One stance is we can try to grasp for control. We can try to make things happen we can try to fight. And, and, and oftentimes in our situations, we have to do what we have to do. But it's about an attitude. It's not about the logistics and the attitude of gripping and manipulating and attempting to predict. And a lot of times I feel like that puts us into pain and puts us into discomfort and anxiety. Or we can take a stance of unknowing, which is, I don't know how the events will unfold. Now, I may have to do something about what I think is the right thing to do at this point. There may be logistics involved. And if there are, same thing. I'm going to bring an open-minded stance to this, that I am a human. I want control. I can't have control. I want predictability. I can't have predictability in uh, many aspects of my life. And when we bring that open attitude, oftentimes things surprise us. Now, things surprise us whether we bring that attitude or not. Uh, but... I feel that if you're in between knowing, you know, something scary in the future and where you are today, that attitude is a lot less stressed. So 
obviously this has to do with calming and obviously there are some strategies for self-care and calming when you're in an anxiety provoking situation where you have to wait for an outcome. Some of these are, of course, um, focus on your positive relationships with non-judgmental people and at least ask for their non-judgment. You can say what I need from you is to listen because oftentimes in our, in our lives, we, we just don't even listen to others. People will be telling us something we already have prejudged what we're going to say back to them. So oftentimes in a relationship, you can say, I need to have a good talk with you. I need to, I really, you know, want to hear some of your feedback, but really what I need you to do is hear me, hear my deep story, hear my suffering, hear my anxiety. Another thing you can do for self-calming when you're in the situation of anxiety is find a safe way to experience um, some immersion in nature. And nature doesn't fix this. It doesn't cure anything because you can't really fix the problem. You don't know what's going to happen and you can only do what you think is the right thing to do. So getting into nature, it brings us outside of our thinking self and more into our embodied physical self. And we can see a larger picture. Nature can teach us things if we listen and, when, and if we look. Another thing you can do is work on meditating. Um, if you can't meditate because there's so much rumination and intrusive thoughts, then you can try doing mindfulness exercises in a group with a guided meditation. And essentially, we're trying to come back to our senses. What's actually happening right now? And what actually is happening right now, even if um, we don't like it, what's what we're, what we're saying, what I mean by I don't like it is that our mind is fixated on some type of future outcome that we're, we don't know what's going to happen. It won't, we don't know if it's going to land on this part, this part, or the other part. And we keep trying to make it land. We keep trying to have control. And if we let go of that control, even for 10 to 15 minutes by breathing, getting into the five senses, listening to some music, something like that, um, it will release the bodily tension that you may actually feel that you are holding that you may not be aware of. Another one is uh, physical activity. So exercise, routines, walking, trying to make you know, yourself get involved in something. And, and in a sense, you do have a bit of control. I'm going to go exercise for 45 minutes. So I've taken some control over my life to do that. And people have usually great results when they exercise. Um, obviously, talk to your doctor before exercising if you haven't in a while. Another one is art creating some type of art. And I don't mean painting or drawing. I mean singing. I mean crafts. I mean whatever, something that doesn't feel rote, something that doesn't feel like a chore. Um, there's so many different types of things. And I don't mean art in the sense of critical art or art theory or art therapy. I just mean doing something creative. Um, for some people, that might be stacking some rocks on a beach. For other people, that might mean carving a stick. That might mean painting. That might mean singing. That might mean um, imagining a story. It might mean writing a poem. It, it might produce nothing. It might just be an imagination game. Um, it may be helping other people with crafts. It may be watercolors. It may be building something, sculpting, uh, origami. could be anything. So just get into it. it. It gets us out of our thinking mind. And so that is another thing I've been thinking about lately is oftentimes a lot of therapy, you know, back in the origins of talk therapy, it was all about the way you were thinking or relating to people or facts or, or thoughts. And then along came somatic practitioners um, and people saying, well, you know, a lot of this, 
these feelings you feel in your body. You feel emotions in your body. And we often don't even, we can feel multiple emotions at once. So getting in, not, not focusing only on thoughts uh, in your therapy. Go to EMDR therapy, somatic experiencing therapy, mindfulness space, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy, different things like that to start working on your somatic physical feelings. And you don't need to name your emotions and become an expert on your emotions, but understand that you can start paying attention to your physical state. And oftentimes that in combination with working on your thinking through traditional talk therapy can have a large effect. And then how does that play into memories and dreams? And that's deeper. We'll talk about that in other podcasts and we already have, but um, there's many ways to look at dreams. I don't know which one's correct, but I think whatever works for you is important. Uh, memories, oftentimes, when we're reacting to something in the present, we're actually reacting through some sort of filter that our memory of an event that we may not even be aware of has encoded in us. So an easy one for me to think of is when I was a, a little kid, I felt that some adults in my life had made a very bad decision, and I was terrified of certain outcomes. And I guess you could even put it on this sense of paranoia. And it might have been because I had watched uh, some crime documentaries, you know, and that had influenced me. And whatever, whatever, there was many other influences. I won't get into all the detail. But then in my life today, when I'm, whenever I'm presented with something kind of shocking um, that seems, you know, from a friend or from a colleague, um, where it seems like equilibrium is tipping and I feel like they may be making a large, largely terrible decision um, because of whatever I, whatever I think, I can, see, I can, I can t sense myself getting tense and worried to a point that's actually almost ridiculous. Um, and I was wondering, why do I do this? Why do I have this initial reaction. Now, of course, I work on my coping skills and I don't just scream at them and tell them, this is a terrible idea. I work on responding. I work on reflecting. I realize that it's not my decision. It's their decision. So um, I don't need to have a codependent uh, control or outcome on that. But I was using all these coping skills until I figured out through my own therapy and through my own um, journaling and reflection that I was uh, this one event kept coming up in my mind. It kept coming up and coming up. And I said, why does it keep coming up? And it's this, and I could remember the age I was at. And I remember what I looked like, according to pictures. And I remember what the event was. And I kept going, why is this event coming up in my, my thoughts whenever I feel like somebody's making a, a largely bad decision that will impact them in the future? And well, I think it was an unprocessed, unresolved event from my past. And so I worked on that. And now instead of taking hours where I would get very upset and then have to come to them with, you know, later or, or I'd be upset after I didn't show them I was upset and sort of keeping it in because I knew my reaction was too large for the issue and they weren't asking for my opinion. Um, now, after doing some work on that, I can recognize most of the time, I can't say always, but most of the time I can recognize that my reaction is too strong within two to three minutes and self-correct and actually feel differently physically inside and go, oh my gosh, you know what? That was, this has nothing to do with that event. It has nothing to do with that. And, and the event that I thought was such a bad decision when I was, I think, 10 years old, actually, 
<laughs> turned out not to be just a bad decision. It was a, there's there's pros and cons to it that that happened with the adults involved, and it wasn't catastrophic um, because oftentimes our brain will go into catastrophic thinking when we when we fear the unknown. Uh, we think this is a disaster. Everything's over. Well, everything is over because something is emerging that's new. So what you knew is over, but it doesn't mean that you can now predict a finite outcome because of that. You actually are probably going to be bad at predicting. So now when I'm confronted with this, I can have a response instead of a reaction. And that's something that is possible. And it's not just through rote memorization of some sort of thinking skill. It's because I did physical work. Um, how I feel my body. It's because I did reflection on memories. It's because I did EMDR. I did other. Th- I did other things to integrate this past story to influence how I can react to what I would say would be startling information. And now it doesn't really startle us so much, unless it's obviously like a ter- something terrible happened. Somebody died, or obviously I'm going to be startled by that. But if somebody says, "Hey, I'm going to. I'm thinking about doing this with my career." or this, I won't automatically go to some sort of negative. I'm trying to have more of an open perspective, and I can do that now through a lot of work, rewiring the brain, working on the nervous system, reorienting to the present, many other things involved. Um, and we know that we can change this way. Uh, I'll have more to say that on this in, in future podcasts and with future guests, but I just wanted to give an example of what we do in our lives when we're afraid of a certain thing happening in the future and are basically unnecessary, but we, you know, it's part of our evolution to try to stay safe, our attempts to control and how much disturbance that puts on our bodies um, versus taking a psychologically open response of not knowing, which is also scary, but it's also honest and true. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm often wrong. Uh, You know, just for fun, I used to journal. And I would encourage you guys to do this if you don't believe me. But um, track events in your life and make predictions and put dates on the predictions and see how often you're right. I would argue that most of the time you're going to be wrong. Um, Unless it's something that's like a clear outcome that you're kind of can predispose, but that's, so, um, I think it was Mark Twain who said, uh, I spent my whole life worrying about all of these things and 95% of which never occurred. And I believe that that is often true. Now we can be right sometimes, but it doesn't mean that the odds of us being right are, are increased. I used to do something when I was a young counselor on some people would still say I'm young, but in my first couple years of practice where I was, I was uh, confused or worried about one of my clients, and I would write in my, on my notes, this was not in my clinical notes, but just in my notes, like, worried that X will occur, or maybe this will happen. And it was my, ju- it was my way of, like, writing down my judging mind, because I didn't want to have that judging mind come out in my therapeutic interventions. And I would, I remember that every week before I shredded my paper, the next week I'd go to the filing cabinet, open it up after the session, and almost every time my predictions about what would have occurred or what I was worried about never happened. It was actually something surprisingly different or maybe something just mundane. Um, I was wrong most of the time. So I started making a joke that every time I make a judgment, I'm wrong. 
And I still kind of believe that to be true. Now I can ascertain things and I can make predictions and there's people who are trained to make predictions and profile and think of uh, outcomes. And, and there are ways to do it with computers. But then when you, when you bring computers into it, you see that the odds are, um, if it's something that we have no module or, 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 or thing to put it through, like obviously with weather patterns, they, they have uh, algorithms that make more sense based on past events. But let's just say we're putting something into the computer. Will this happen or this happen in this person's life? Well, the odds are so infinite in both directions. Um, and it depends on so many different factors. So I think when your head is spinning and you're trying to get control and you're trying to make sense and you're trying to decrease your anxiety, remember the five things I talked about, um, having a good talk, someone really listening to you and doing mindfulness exercises, doing exercises, going to nature, doing art, things like this that can help you get back into the moment. And then try to have a sense of trust that when something does occur, whether it's the outcome you feared it's the outcome you didn't fear, or it's another outcome that you will be able to move through it because one of the laws of nature is impermanence. And you will not feel like you feel while you're going through it, and you won't feel like you f feel right now. Um, and what you are going through, while it might be very difficult, might be scary, um, might be life-threatening, um, there are things you will know later that you can't know now. And I don't like that as much as you don't like that. But I've seen it in my own life. Um, difficulties, I'm not saying they've always made me better. I think physically they've aged me and made me upset or made me miss my exercise class or made me not sleep or affected that. I shouldn't say made me, but caused me to have certain adverse effects. And those are, you know, effects that I have to live with. Um, lost money, different things like that. But... At the same time, did I learn something from going through difficult times? I did, uh, because I paused for reflection once I felt I was in a safe place. Now, the trick is, how do you pause for reflection and meditate when you don't feel like you're in a safe place? And that's something we all have access to, unless we're in a war zone um, or in the middle of just the most horrendous torture ever. If we have a place to be away from the problem, and the problem is only existing in our head, we can take time to reflect and try to unhook ourselves from this issue. So I know this talk was very general, and it wasn't really on a technique. But I just wanted to try to empower everyone out there. Um, this month, as we're just whatever you're going through, remember, it's not always going to be that way. And to try to employ some of your resources, to try to use some reflection, to try to use coping skills. And if you need a therapist, by goodness, get into therapy. Find a way to make it happen. Um, it's good to have, if you don't have anybody to talk to, that's the best thing to do. Um, reach out. There are people that have gone through what you've gone through. Find a support group, find a meeting. Interact with other people that have designated their boundaries and have proven themselves to be true and honest to the extent that you need. Um, and I just want to encourage everybody, mental health is an active process. And we are participants in that process. 
And mental health is not a stagnant state. It's not a place that you just finally arrive and then you don't need to worry about your mental health. Um, you know, DSM-5 came out, and I know not everyone's a big fan of that, but it did, it did uh, finally state what we knew, is that depression, anxiety, psychosis, and other disorders, many of them are on a, uh, on a spectrum from a lot of things, a lot of terrible symptoms happening, to medium, to low. Same with substance use disorders. So we're always in change and always in flux. And sometimes just taking a little bit of time out of our day to figure out where am I and asking myself some difficult questions or some and some self-reflective questions can help. And there's all sorts of self-help books, and not all of them are very great because some of them give you pie-in-the-sky answers, but the ones that encourage you to journal and reflect, you will see results um, when you intend and put your intention on it. So thanks for listening. This has been Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor, the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm very excited that in 2020, I'm going to be having uh, a lot of interesting guests, um, authors, musicians, and I'm also going to be releasing a full-length album of music that I've been working on for about six years. It's in the final stages of production, should be released in February or March. And um, I will put a link in the show notes to that when that comes out and also talk about that. In the meantime, I did want to give away a free gift, which is that I recorded, I do record music, and if you haven't known that, my introduction is an instrumental version of a song I wrote with my friend, and I put some of my songs on the outro. I, I recorded a bunch of songs between 2010 and 2013 at my, at my little uh, house I was living in in Phoenix, Arizona. And I just recorded them myself, and I and I did one or two takes of vocals, nothing really high production, and uh, not really any sort of, you know, like a, a full-length album you do, you know, 20 takes of vocals, and then you mix them, and then you fix them, and then you take do all these takes of different instruments. I didn't do that. I just basically recorded a couple takes until I thought it was okay. And they just sat on my hard drive for years, and I didn't really know what to do with them. So then... This year, 2019, I had been working on all of these more fun studio albums, as it's my hobby to make music, where they're more refined. And I, and I thought, well, why don't I just send this to a, a person I know in Phoenix to mix these tracks and uh, put them out? So it's called Modified Demos, 2010 to 2013. And they're just a bunch of songs that talk about different thoughts I was having at that time. And uh, it's free to download. You have to click purchase, and then you put zero in on Bandcamp. So it's pawl.bandcamp.com. There's also another Paul. I've had been going by that moniker since 2003, 2005, but he came out in Sweden. He's a DJ. He used to be DJ Paul. So we have the same name. So on Spotify, you have to go to other artists because he's a dance DJ, and he's got millions of plays, and I don't. But I'm all of this stuff will be on Spotify within the next month, but right now it's on Bandcamp, pawl.bandcamp.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. It's a free album you can listen to, download, whatever, when it's on Spotify and other um, streaming services, you can listen to it for free. And it's just sort of a bunch of feelings and thoughts I was going into because, for me, music is both fun and a creative 
way to make art, but it's also a way to express myself and sometimes to express thoughts I'm having. And I was going back to some of those songs and listening the other day as I was proofing the final versions of the person who mixed the uh, tracks I recorded myself. And I was thinking about uh, thoughts. I I can remember thoughts I was having during these songs. And some of these songs were, you know, depressing or I was scared or I was reflecting on something. And I remember... I remember different things I was going through while I was recording them, and a lot of the fears I had from 2010 to 2013 did not come true. (laughs) A couple of them did, but I think I'm batting at about 2% coming true. Um, And they didn't actually come true how I thought, so I don't even know if you can count those. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, free music, it is um, the holiday season. Obviously, if you're listening to this not in December of 2019, then it's not the holiday season, but there may be a holiday that you like, and you can just call this a holiday or whatever. Maybe you're on holiday, and you can uh, download the album for free or stream it. And I'm putting a bunch of my old stuff on streaming services that should be up um, by 2020. I'm doing that because my brother and I are releasing this album we've been working on for six years, which is um, probably one of the most fun and also frustrating projects I've ever worked on and it's a very personal project so I'm releasing it so that I will be on the streaming services when it's released and then him and I will be the album artist and you can find that for free as well or buy it and support art Um, thanks so much for listening and I appreciate your support if you're enjoying this podcast please share it thanks so much Until next time on the Intentional Clinician Podcast, I wish you all a safe and peaceful month. If you are searching for electronic medical records, I recommend Simple Practice. If you are interested in trying out Simple Practice, I have provided a link in the notes of this episode for a 30-day free trial. And if you utilize the link I have provided and decide to subscribe, this podcast will get a small referral fee. I thank you in advance. If you are looking to get involved in advocacy for helping increase mental health access and quality of services, I recommend getting involved with the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association. The Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association is working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, increasing education, Uh, for the public, promoting best practices, and working to keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible. You can check out episodes 32 and 33 to find out more about why I'm talking about this. Or just join a professional organization with a good vision and mission to help the people. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss, and while these are based upon literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. If you are in need of counseling services, Do not hesitate to make an appointment with your local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in Grand Rapids at the Health for Life Grand Rapids office 
or the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting the website www.healthforlifegr.com. That's www.healthforlifegr.com. That is the office that Paul Krauss is the clinical director of. I am working in 2020 to bring more trainings to clinicians around the Midwest and in Arizona, and I may be working on a training for the general public uh, that will be available online. I am also accepting a few consulting clients, so if this sounds like something you're interested in, this is not therapy, but consulting on different issues, as you've probably heard this podcast I've got a lot of experience in different areas. You can contact me. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, 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 you never know, would you never know, oh, you know, you know. There's a thing that keeps you down It's a thing when you're running all around And no, it's When you were a 
was poisoning you Drinking in all that untruth but you This 
Yeah. 